You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. As they made their way back to a seat, I get to do another thing and introduce you to a, a guest and family member of ours as a church and that line of sending, uh, when you give to Connection Church, you're giving to see the gospel go to the neighbors and to the nations uh, that, that God's given us. And that includes a, a partner church that we've been investing in, uh, that you've been investing in over the last several years, and that is Cornerstone Church in Detroit. And so Pastor Tyler Sinclair is here, uh, and he's going to serve us by opening God's word. And, uh, and this is the third time he's actually we've been a guest with us. So we're especially grateful because he's, in this sense, left the mission field to come and serve us. And so uh, I, I, that's, that's no small thing. I, I quoted this for, for some others as well, but like the missiologist of the 20th century, Leslie Newbigin, talked about one of the weaknesses of the Western and especially American church is that we can start to think that we're like a franchise that like every other church in every neighborhood and every city and every nation just looks, talks, and acts and, and serves Jesus like we do. And being exposed to what God is doing outside of that is one of the most encouraging things. And so Pastor Tyler has been that and has been such an incredible and friendly encouragement to me. And I know he's going to be that for you as well as he brings God's word to us this morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer? It is always still my, my custom to pray before we break the bread of life. Father, we ask that as we open your scriptures. We ask that you open our hearts, open our minds, give us the ability to be attentive. Uh, Spirit of God, we ask that you um, allow the word to fall on good ground. Uh, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. God, we ask that Christ is glorified. We we ask that we, your people, are edified, and uh, we ask that you do it for the furtherance of your kingdom for your glory, for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Pastor Jonathan um, said, uh, my name is Tyler, lead pastor of Cornerstone Church. In the beautiful, gloomy, rainy, crummy weather city that uh, is somewhat similar to the weather that I've been experiencing here since yesterday. Uh, <laughs> so you ain't missing much in Detroit. Um, <laughs> But God has placed us there. Um, by God's grace, your, your partnership in the gospel, your prayers, the support of him and his amazing wife, and, and your financial support are a large reason why we are able to um, continue to see people come from darkness into the light of the gospel. Um, so I thank you. I thank you for your support. I thank you for all the ways that you have been a blessing to our ministry in Detroit and um, my prayer is that we continue to partner and continue to see uh, the Lord do amazing things here in Sioux Falls and in Detroit as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so one of the questions I, I get asked often is, um, why did I feel called to plant a church in Detroit? Uh, a, a secret is, uh, don't, don't, don't tell anybody this, but uh, in the process of planting the church uh, cornerstone, I had a denomination that I'm no longer connected with um, attempt to pull me in a different direction. Like, you could actually plant a church in the suburbs. You could actually plant a church anywhere with your gifting, with your talent, with your abilities. Why would you, someone even said, waste them 
in the city of Detroit, after much prayer and confirmation and wise counsel and being assessed through Acts 29, in 2016, my family and I began to plant Cornerstone, and, and the Lord was just slowly showing that we were heading in his direction. But then we are, not only with the confirmation and through prayer, I, I had a few experiences that clarified the Lord's call to Detroit or to stay in Detroit. I was born and raised in Detroit, and I felt the Lord compelling me to stay there and plant my flag there and to pastor and to see church planning move there uh, until he said elsewise. One morning, I was sitting at a park. I was discouraged. I was down. I was frustrated. It was just a, a litany of things that I was frustrated and uh, upset about, just being a pastor, basically. Uh, <laughs> having my own personal pity party by myself in my car at a park. And then I, I was suddenly snapped uh, out of my daze at about 100 yards in front of me, there was a man brutally assaulting a woman and attempting to drag her into a car. Um, so how my body works is my body and the adrenaline kicked in faster than my brain did, and I ran toward them, and I separated the man and the woman. He got in the car. He drove away, and I was shocked that she was actually upset with the fact that I separated them, and she began to chase after the car. And I sat down in my car after this whole interaction and I just caught my breath, and I, I felt the Lord confirming that just as he placed me in that moment to intervene in that situation, he placed me in Detroit to plant Cornerstone Church. See, Detroit is a different beast. Planting a church, pastoring anywhere, doing ministry, living anywhere is difficult, but there are certain dynamics that make living and pastoring and church planning in places like Detroit, Chicago, Camden, New Jersey, wherever, the list goes on. Since pastoring, since planting Cornerstone Church, uh, we've, re we've removed several men, um, women, and children from physical harm. And we've re we actually have removed a woman from being sex trafficked. In 2023, I've done more funerals, five funerals. The year isn't over, and I've only done one wedding. In the last several years, I've seen more young black men come through our church, come through our community, and become incarcerated, end up in the life of crime, then go off to college. We are in a community that is extremely broken, generational poverty, generational crime, all of the bad statistics, all of the bad things that you've heard about. Detroit and other places. This is where the Lord has placed us. But despite the darkness, I believe the Lord has placed us there to shine the light of the gospel. Despite uh, the, 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 the difficulty, we are seeing people come to know and follow Jesus. But here's the thing. That's not just for church planners like me. That's not just for pastors like me. If you name the name of Jesus, you're called to represent him and to make him known no matter wherever the Lord has placed you. If you have received this good news of Jesus, if you have received uh, salvation, if, if the Spirit of God is dwelling within you, you are called to spread this life-changing message. So today we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to talk about what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. And what does it mean to, to, to make Jesus known? What does it mean that we are called to represent him? And then I want to conclude with giving some practical ways that in everyday life, everyday exchanges, we can 
uh, be representatives of Christ. I'm warning you ahead of time that I am preaching from the CSB, the Cornerstone Standard Bible. Um, that is our Bible of choice. So just paint a little bit of a picture. Um, 2 Corinthians is where we'll be. And, and, and like many natural children rebel against their parents, Paul, uh, his spiritual offspring in Corinth, uh, rebelled against him. They, they, in many ways, deserted the gospel and just went haywire. And he wrote them a very nice, lengthy letter called 1 Corinthians. You can read that for more information. But here in 2 Corinthians, after some time, some tough love, some restoration, the, the runaway, the wayward child had returned home, and now restoration has begun to happen. 2 Corinthians is Paul's most uh, autobiographical letter as he goes into great detail about his toils, his strife, his fighting, his, his struggles as a minister of the gospel. But here in chapter 5, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells us his motivation. Um, I believe that uh, I've experienced great difficulty being in ministry, but I've never been shipwrecked. I've never been flogged. I've never been incarcerated. But Paul, despite everything he's faced here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he tells us why he continues to go forward. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. <clears throat> For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all have died. After an exhaustive detail of his suffering, his difficulty, Paul concludes and he reveals what is the driving force. Why does he keep on doing what he's doing? I'm going to be honest. After being flogged one time, I would be like, Lord, see, I, I don't know. Maybe you, <laughs> maybe you meant to send me somewhere else. <laughs> after, after being shipwrecked one time, I would have had some, uh, some major doubts. But Paul says, I'm compelled. We're compelled. That word compelled means to be held together. It means to be, uh, to mean to enclose, to hold fast. It means to constrain. Paul, another translation says, the love of Christ leaves us no other choice. Don't miss Paul's motivation, uh, his motivation, what is holding him together, what is holding his life together, what is holding his ministry together. It's not guilt. It's not selfish ambition. It's not religious zeal. It's not having a building an influence or, or building a ministry. It was the love of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul details being in prison multiple times, shipwrecked multiple times, torture, sleepless night, the, the overwhelming concern for God's people, and even going without his basic human needs. Despite the suffering, the persecution, the uncertainty, he continued to carry the gospel throughout the Roman Empire until he was murdered for doing just that. Here in verse 14, he tells us why he literally risked his life and well-being to spread the gospel. It is the love of Christ. Christ's love is expressed through his sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. That's what held Paul together. That's what held his ministry together. That's what held his life together. That was a controlling factor in his life. Jesus put it this way. John 15, 13, no greater love than this than to lay down his life. 
for a friend. Christ loved us so much that despite being innocent, despite being sinless, he was willingly sentenced to death and received our punishment. He received the wrath of God for us. Jesus loved us so much that he tasted death to give us the bread of life and to be the living water. Jesus loved us so much that he was temporarily separated from his father so we would not have to be separated from him throughout all eternity and so we could be adopted into the family of God. By far the greatest act of love in human history, the Holy Son of God carrying our sin to the cross to redeem us and covering us in his righteousness. Because we're compelled, we're drawn, we're held together. That is the driving force, Jesus' love for us. Verse 15, verse 15. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but the one who died for them and was raised. The preposition here in verse 15 says, for all that indicates that Jesus died on behalf or in the place of those who would repent and receive his grace. The innocent one dying for the guilty. Isn't that amazing? The, the ones who rejected God, the ones who declared independence from God, the ones who chose sin and disobedience were redeemed through the death of Jesus Christ. Now, in Christ, we no longer live for ourselves, we live for him. Paul put it this way in Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. By faith, we were crucified with Christ. Now we are dead to sins. We're dead to our old life and now we live for King Jesus. Hear this, the gospel was not Jesus died to give you a new and improved version of your old life. It's not Jesus died to save you from your sin, to now give you the life that you always hoped and wished for. It's not just the fact that it, it, the gospel is not just Jesus died to save you from your sin, to get you into heaven. That's a, that's a part of it. But now you live in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow the, follow the progression. The Father, before the foundation, Ephesians 1 said, before the foundations of the earth, you were appointed, you were chosen, you were elected by the Father, you were loved by the Father. The Son re redeemed and reconciled you. Now the Spirit fills and seals you. And now, in light of those realities, you no longer live for yourself, you live for the triune God. Now in Christ, you value what he values. You love what he loves. When he calls truth, you walk in as truth. His agenda is your agenda. Uh, a few years ago, I preached through the book of Habakkuk. And I love this. In Habakkuk, he says, one day, the glory of the Lord is going to cover the whole earth. People, Revelation 7, 9 says, uh, when you fast forward to the beginning, it says, there's going to be a great multitude of people that no, no one can number from every nation and tribe proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus, saying salvation belongs to the Lamb. That's what God is doing. So now in Christ, we align ourselves with that. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for King Jesus. We look at our time. 
We look at our talent. We look at our treasure. We, we look at our giftings. We look at our family. We look at everything that he's placed us, that he's placed in our hands, and we view ourselves as stewards, not owners. Because of what God did to redeem us, to restore us, we no longer live for ourselves. We live for him. Paul continues, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. <clears throat> Excuse me. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. The key phrase, key phrases in verse 17, 18, and 19 is in Christ and through Christ. In Christ and through Christ. In these verses, Paul is communicating that, that through Jesus Christ, he is the sole uh, means of salvation. He is the sole means of this new life. It is in Christ. This is an amazing phrase. It's in Christ, we were reconciled to the Father in Christ because the Son paid the price to redeem us. We are fully accepted in Christ because the Father was pleased through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have power in Christ because the Spirit now dwells within us. Stay with me. Stay with me. The, so, so you've been reconciled to the Father through the Son. You now have new life, new agenda, new ambitions, and new power through Jesus Christ. Behold, uh, all things have passed away. All, all things are made new. You are a new creation. Paul's motivation for mission, his motivation is to, to, to take the gospel to every man, woman, and child. It's not obligation. It's not guilt, it's not shame, it's not manipulation. Verse 18 again, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. Don't miss that. This wasn't a mutual reconciliation. This wasn't you sat down with God, all right, God, let's, let's negotiate the terms. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself. To fully grasp this, we got to go all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis, our, our great, 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 I don't know how many greats, but great times infinity or whatever, our great grandparents, Adam and Eve, willfully disobeyed God. They broke their covenant with their creator. Adam and Eve went from intimacy with God to opposition with God. Along with being born under the curse of sin, we also have personally declared independence from God. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53 said, all like sheep have gone astray. Romans 3, uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. Due to our sin, we were alienated from God and lived in opposition from him. But God, by his grace, took divine initiative to reconcile us back to himself through the finished work of Jesus. Dr. Ralph Dell Davis said, reconciliation is the solo unassisted work of God. The message, the ministry of reconciliation all come from God. 
Verse 19 again, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. This is the good news. The good news is, 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 is that humans who could never mend that gap, who could never mend that relationship, we could never make peace with God. We, we could never pull ourselves up for our own uh, spiritual bootstraps. All of this was accomplished once and for all through the finished work of the Lord Jesus. The gospel tells us that, that we receive this work, we receive this ministry of reconciliation by grace through faith not through anything we could ever accomplish on our own. This reconciliation through Christ ended the spiritual hostility between a holy God and unholy sinners. Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. This peace, this reconciliation is not just the ending of hostilities. This is, this is not an uneasy truth. Our reconciliation refers to the, the, the relationship being mended. We're no longer the enemies of God. We are the children of God. We've been adopted into the family of God. Uh, later in, in the same chapter, verse 21 says, we are now the righteousness of Christ. Now in Jesus Christ. All things are new. The old has passed away. Now in Christ, we have a new father, a new family, new grace, new mercy, new motivations, and a new mission. But what is shocking to me is by his grace, the Lord uses those who were formerly bound by sin to set others free. He uses the ones who were formerly spiritually dead to awaken others. The Lord uses those who were far off. He uses the prodigals to tell others to come home to the Father. Verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Follow the progression. He loved us because of his immense love. We were reconciled to God. We were made new. We have a new life. We have a new motivation. We have a new message. We have a new ministry of reconciliation. We are now the ambassadors. We are now the representatives of Christ and his kingdom. Since we were reconciled to God, now he uses our lives, our words, our awkward, uh, fumbly, bumbly gospel declarations to set others free. I know some of y'all may be very fluent in evangelism, but sometimes I don't have the right words. Sometimes I'm fumbly. Sometimes I'm bumbly. And God still uses that to bring broken sinners, dead sinners alive in Christ. Dr. David E. Garland declares that God continues the act of reconciliation through those who have been reconciled. The Lord chose reconciled sinners to be the bridge of grace for others to cross over to meet him. Paul says we are the ambassadors of Christ. So let's take a minute because this is not a word we use very often. This is a actually a political word that we don't use in our everyday vernacular. <clears throat> 
So the definition of an ambassador is a, an authorized representative of a kingdom or country to other foreign kingdoms and countries. It is an authorized representative of a kingdom or country to other kingdoms and countries. So what is Paul getting at? I believe Paul is getting at two things, and, and, and this is what it means to be an ambassador. When we say that we are the ambassadors, we are the representatives of Christ first, through the finished work of Jesus, we have a new citizenship. We have a new kingdom that we are part of. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus conquered the grave, when Jesus conquered sin and death, he handed us a heavenly green card, and we now belong to the kingdom of God. Now, this presents an interesting paradox, because do we live in heaven now? No. Is Jesus literally, figuratively reigning on earth right now? Yes and no. It's this weird, uh, already not yet paradox. Jesus, when he came to earth, uh, Matthew chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. His kingdom is uh, at work right now, but it is not fully realized until he returns. When Jesus returns, his kingdom is going to be, is going to be fully coronated. It's going to be fully realized. But until then, it's kind of uh, already not yet. So right now we are, we have a citizenship in heaven, but we still live on earth. And while we live on earth, we're called to represent the values, the agenda, the message of the king. Secondly, this ministry and this message of reconciliation is all about representation. We are called to represent the Lord Jesus Christ wherever we go, wherever Jesus has placed you, your neighborhood, your block, your hood, whatever phrase you use, wherever the Lord Jesus has placed you, your school, your place of work, wherever you are, you are called to be a representative of Christ and his kingdom. Let the weight of this sit in for a minute. You're not just a Christian. You're not just saved. You're not just a member of Connection Church. You are a representative of King Jesus and his kingdom on earth. You have his gospel. You have his spirit. And there are lost people literally all around you who are on their way to hell. Not figuratively. There are people all around you who you know. These aren't hypothetical people. These are people who we know. These are people who we engage with every single day, and they are spiritually dead. They are lost, and you have the good news. The next logical step is, what are the roles of an ambassador? What do I do? If I am to represent Jesus, what does that mean? What do I do? I'm glad you asked. You're asking all the right questions. You're just like my church in Detroit. Just know exactly what to ask so I can tell you what you need to know. The first role of an ambassador is to represent his home kingdom or country, is to speak. You are a mouthpiece. Without exaggeration, in a political sense, an ambassador speaks on behalf of the entire country and its leaders. America's ambassadors travel to foreign countries and foreign kingdoms, and they represent us. They represent the uh, country. They represent our government. 
Ambassadors don't share their own opinion. They don't share what they think. They don't share their thoughts. Their main goal is to speak on behalf of their country. What does this have to do with representing Jesus? So many Christians, I'm going to put my, I'm not going to stand fully on the soapbox. I'm going to put one foot on the soapbox. One foot. So many Christians can't represent Jesus because they have too many other messages. It's Jesus one day when it's convenient, but when it's another day, it's another social agenda. It's a political agenda. It's my own personal opinion. Listen to how Paul described his ministry. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. I decided to know nothing among you. Paul was a smart man. Paul was a brilliant man. I decided, a conscious decision, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul is clear. I am an ambassador of Christ. I am here to represent Jesus, not myself. The lost people you engage, your coworker, your friend, your classmate, they don't need your opinions. Opinions are like noses. Everybody got one. They don't need your cultural critiques. They don't need your empty platitudes. They don't need your religious musing. They don't need your political views. They don't need your life philosophies. They need the gospel. People who are lost need to hear they can be found in Christ. We engage lost people all the time, and I hear it, and I see it on social media, and we beat around the bush, we talk vague, we talk about God in vague terms so we don't offend anybody. Everybody else is trumpeting their message. Every other faith, every other agenda, every other social uh, campaign is bold about what they believe. But we become timid and passive. When you engage lost people, the lost, the unchurched, the de-churched, do you speak on behalf of yourself or do you speak on behalf of King Jesus? Are you in, intentional about uh, uh, not giving them your opinion? Well, this is what I think. Well, this is what I feel. Do you speak the truth of the good news? Do you speak? Uh, what, what does God say about sexuality? What does God say about gender? What does God say about marriage? What does God say about money? Practically speaking, what if you just were more intentional about sprinkling the truth of Scripture in your conversations? First, ambassadors speak on behalf of the person who sent them. They speak on behalf of the kingdom and the country that sent them. Secondly, ambassadors seek to advance the agenda of their home country. Today, when America sends ambassadors to meet with other foreign dignitaries, they are negotiating policies and laws in the best interest of people in America. The agenda, priority, and plans of the home country are the agenda, priority, and plans of the ambassadors. As Christ ambassadors, we now live to advance his kingdom, his agenda, his plan, not ours. Again, verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for the one who died for them and was raised. Because of what Jesus accomplished and because of who he is, we no longer live for ourselves. We live for him exclusively. 
in our parenting, in our marriages. We should view these as heavenly assignments, not just earthly responsibilities. In your singleness, you should view your singleness, you should view your, your, your time as a commitment to live for the glory of Christ. You should view your employment, your time in school as, as sacred callings to represent Jesus no matter where he has placed you. First, ambassadors speak on behalf of the king. Next, uh, ambassadors advance the agenda of the kingdom. Lastly, ambassadors seek to diffuse and eliminate potentially hostile situations. If there's a bit of a skirmish, if there is... Um, if there's an issue or friction between two countries, they'll often send in, send in the ambassador to negotiate peace, to bring some kind of peace treaty. Ambassadors are responsible for maintaining peaceful relationships with other countries and ending potential or present hostility. What did Paul say? He said, you and I have the message and the ministry of reconciliation. He says, you are an ambassador pleading with people, be reconciled to God. Our goal is to see those who are far from him be brought near. Those who are outside of the kingdom be brought into the kingdom of Christ. As Christ's ambassadors, we're called to, to be about seeing those who are spiritually dead come alive. Let's be honest. How often do you pray for lost people? Again, I live and do ministry in Detroit. The amount of abuse, brokenness, addiction, generations of poverty, generations of broken families, generations of fatherlessness, all of this, I'm surrounded by it every single day. And you know what? Sometimes I become numb to it. It's in my face. It's in our church so present, uh, so often. Sometimes I just get numb to it. And I, and I forget that I need to be praying for these people. This, this, this child who is in, who, who's being bounced from relative to relative to foster care, with, whose parents are both addicted, who, whose parents are incarcerated, I need to be praying for that child. I need to be interceding for that child way more than I do. How often do you pray for lost people? Are you apathetic or are you brokenhearted when you encounter people who are far from God? Do you seek to establish relationships with people who are far from God to offer them the message of reconciliation? Again, no matter where Christ has placed you, your neighborhood, your block, your cul-de-sac, wherever he has placed you, your job, your school, your friend group, wherever he has placed you, if you name the name of Christ, you have been put there intentionally to make him known. Practically speaking, how can we do this? I'm a very practical person. In his book, Dr. Gregory Kokel, I believe that's how you pronounce it, is K-O-U-K-L, wrote a really good book called Tactics, The Art of Discussing Your Christian Convictions. Really good book. Tactics, The Art of Discussing Your Christian Convictions. I read it a few years ago. Really good. Uh, he gave eight principles to engage people with the gospel. I stole three of his and added four of my own. Here are seven practical ways you can engage people with the gospel. First, be ready. My family's from Mississippi. My family's country, Mississippi and Tennessee and all that. My grandmama would say, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. 
<laughs> if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. First, whenever the Lord presents opportunities, even if it's small, speak the good news of Jesus. Speak biblical truth. Don't second guess yourself. Don't wait for the perfect opportunity. Don't wait for just a, a beam from heaven and somebody just to walk up to you. What must I do to be saved? That may happen two or three times in your life. I've had those instances happen. Stop waiting. Often, oh, soapbox for 30 seconds because I'm good on time. There's this new thing that, that uh, can I be offensive? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. A little bit. All right. I'm going to do it anyway, but I ask permission. Uh, a lot of people have developed this philosophy that I have to become your friend and I have to build all of this relational equity and I have to know you for X amount of times so and we have to sit down and have coffee 15,000 times so I can potentially maybe think about telling you about Jesus. That's not how we are to be on mission. If Christ gives you an opportunity, yes, we don't want to be offensive. Yes, we don't want to be the, that weird Christian that you say, hey, how's your morning? And then they just start quoting 2 Thessalonians. We don't want to be that. But <laughs> God puts you in that person's life if they are lost to make Jesus known. You, maybe you don't wait for the right opportunity. Make, it could just be a conversation. Whenever you see the slightest opportunity, make Jesus known. Secondly, avoid religious language. Christians are weird. I'm a Christian. I am weird. And we have our own little language. We have our own insider language. Uh, I, I was, um, a few years ago, it was me and two other guys, and we were meeting with a mom whose son was incarcerated. We were in the process of trying to get him out of, uh, get him out of jail, and it was just a whole mess, and just a hot mess. A hot, bubbling dumpster fire of a mess that God redeemed for his glory because that's what he does. So we're sitting down and we're talking to the mom. And two of my white homies, they were talking to the mom. And they kept saying, we're going to come alongside. We're going to come alongside. And the mother's looking at me like, can you translate? Because I don't know what this means. And I said, we're going to help. We're going to help. <laughs> but, but Christians have developed their own language, their own little things that we use in, in conversation with non-Christians. And they have no idea what we're talking about. Avoid Christianese, uh, avoid some of our evangelical jargon that can be a hindrance in conversations. For example, Jesus spoke Aramaic. Jesus, Jesus spoke the common language of the people. And Jesus taught in parables. He didn't talk above people's heads. Speak the gospel in everyday terms so people without a religious background, people without a super Christian-y, Kentucky Fried Chicken Christian uh, <laughs> uh, understanding can understand exactly what you're talking about. Third, ask questions, gather information, don't make assumptions. I remember one time, um, this, is, this is, oh my goodness, this was years ago. I was like, like 19 or 20. I became a Christian and started, got into ministry at, uh, at, at around 19, 20. And I was that, loud. I'm loud now, but I was probably louder, more zealous, more bold, and really stupid. Uh, so I'm doing a Bible study at my school and I'm leading this Bible study, and a, a girl, a young lady who I thought was a friend of mine, was in the back, and she was heckling, like heckling the Bible study. And I'm talking, and she's in the back heckling me. And I'm just like, wait, I wasn't prepared for this. They didn't tell me people was going to like respond and heckle. So I, I unpolitely asked her to leave. Come to find out, I bumped into her later that day. I said, man, what was that all about? And she said, several years ago, 
I was sexually assaulted by the pastor of my church. My leading the Bible study and just being around Christians, being around the Bible, triggered her deeply. What if I would have asked more questions? What, what if I would have not assumed and been arrogant? What if I would have asked more questions? Engaging people with the gospel, we need to ask questions. Why do you believe what you believe? How did you come to these conclusions? Dialogue will reveal their idols, their assumptions. It will reveal uh, better ways for you to communicate the gospel to them. Fourth, focus on the truth of Christianity, not secondary issues. This is where so many Christians fall. We get lost in the weeds. We will argue and fight on issues that have no eternal significance. We'll win an argument and lose the person. You can win an argument, argue them down, and never get to the cross, never get to the good news of Jesus. Fifth, give reasoned answers. Be able to give thorough reasoned answers rooted in scripture and in logic. We are living in an age and a day of skepticism. So we give, honor, we give answers that are logical but also faith-based regarding science, creation, and the resurrection of Jesus. We don't run away from science. We don't run away from logic because the Bible is not opposed to those things. Six, be gracious, stay calm, and do not be argumentative. Colossians 4, verse 5 says, Act wisely towards outsiders, make the most of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Do not be a Jesus jerk. Don't be that guy or gal that is abrasive, dismissive, pushy, cynical, sarcastic, while attempting to tell people about Jesus. That's the oil and that's the ultimate oil and water. As we, as we declare the grace and the good news of the gospel, that same grace that saved us should be pouring out of our lips and it should be in our demeanor. It should be in our attitude when we engage with people. <laughs> Lastly, excuse me, engage with people on an ongoing basis. There are people who come in and out of our church and who've been in and around our church family for years and have not made a profession of faith. They'll come for a month or two, get stable, get clean, then fall back and relapse. They'll come, get stable, and, and then uh, uh, have a baby and disappear and come back 10 months later with a baby. Cycles and cycles and cycles. There are people who we've been engaging with the gospel literally for years that have not said yes to Jesus. We're called to love, still engage, still pursue, engage with people on an ongoing basis. Don't, don't let it be a one and done, but follow up, pray, beg for the Lord to do a work in their heart. Can you imagine? Imagine if we took this seriously. Imagine if you and I every single day woke up and asked the Lord, how can I live for your glory today? In light of the love I've received of, in Christ, how can I devote everything in my life? What if we prayed, God, give me an opportunity to share the good news with someone. Lord, Lord, present someone to me who needs to hear your gospel. My desire is that every man, woman, and child 
in my zip code. All 53,000 people in my zip code come to know Jesus Christ. My desire, my prayer is that God uses your church, your efforts, your gospel declaration, your gospel communities, the, the, the ministry of the kids, uh, uh, that the Lord uses all of these things to bring lost sinners back to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that when we were dead in sin, when we were lost, you reconciled us back to yourselves. And now you have given us this amazing privilege to be on mission, this amazing privilege to live out this reconciliation. Lord, we pray for gospel opportunities. We pray for gospel conversations. We, Lord, we pray for, for connections with people who are far from you, the lost, the unchurched, the de-churched, those, those who have given up on the church, those who have given up on pastors, those who have given up on the institution. Lord, I pray that you do a work in their hearts to draw them back to you for your glory, for your namesake, and for our joy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.